This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings, and today we're talking about the Tower of Babel and some of the observations we're able to take away from the story. So, welcome, Marty. Thank you. And uh, I think we're just going to dive right into the text here, aren't we? We sure are. All right. I want to make sure I get the whole story that we want to be dealing with here today. Um, we're in Genesis 11. Indeed we are. And I'm going to make sure I start... Um, In uh, 1032, I'm going to catch that last verse here. Uh, So last verse of chapter 10 and the first uh, nine verses of chapter 11. These are the clans of Noah's son, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these nations spread out all spread out over the earth after the flood. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and gathered there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. All right, so let's do our typical thing. Uh, What kind of problems you got? here in the story, Brent. Right off the bat, we see the people trying to become more Eastern and God says no. Correct. Which seems to go against everything we've been talking about. I know. It's such a, such a wonderful observation. It would, it would almost seem that God is West. God has found... God is in the West. God is in the West. God is more Western. No, of course not. But you are, actually do point out something very, very interesting in the story because we don't notice this as Westerners. <laughs> see how I did that? Uh, but we we don't pay attention to geography. We read right over that because we don't see it as important. We're trying to get to the proposition of the story. But in fact, if you're noticing what's happening, every single story, the people are moving further east. Uh, Adam and Eve leave the garden towards the east. Uh, Cain and his family and his lineage move east. And then Noah and the flood happens and God brings the people back west. Uh, so he, there's a story of recreation and he brings them back. And then they leave the ark and they head east. And then Noah and the vineyard and the family's heading east. And now all the nations of the world are heading east. And so one of the things you keep seeing is people are continuing to move further and further away from God's desire, even geographically. And again, it's, that's about image. It's about picture. But the picture here is that people keep moving away from God's original intent. And if you kind of, if that sinks in your consciousness, all of a sudden you start to realize evil's really moving here. Evil is, evil is starting to organize itself. Like it started as an individual and then a family. And then it was about a lineage and then it was about all of humanity and even the corrupt earth, as Kevin pointed out a couple podcasts ago. And now evil is starting to organize itself. Like evil is starting to become a civilization. Uh, and this is what God seems to address in the story. What, what other kind of problems you got? Well, so at the at the end, um, God scattered them over the earth. Like that's what he did. But before God even shows up in the area or in the story, uh, they're worried about being scattered over the earth. 
Right. Which is weird to me. Like, why would they, why is that a, a worry? Right. Why do they even consider that as a possibility? Right. I think it's going to be really key to what we look at today. What else? How, how does everyone speak one language? Right. Because, I don't know, you have all of these, you, all these other stories of people who've gone off and done their own thing at various times. How do they all have the same language? Sure. Absolutely. Got anything else? Uh, yeah, that seems about it for me. Okay. All right. Excellent. Okay. Um, so this, yeah, I've been working at this story for a little bit, trying to figure out how to teach it the best way. Because when I was first taught about this story, where everything started to click for me, um, man, I, it was very complex. And I'm not even the expert that is able to even explain the things that were explained to me. So to hand it off and give it to somebody else, I can point you in the right direction, but I don't want to try to presume to be somebody and something I'm not. So I'll try to hand that off um, in a way that would be helpful. But um, one of the things we need to talk about today is that Hebrew uh, doesn't have vowels. Hebrew just has consonants. Um, the vowels are done by what's called breathing marks that are placed over the consonants that tell you what sounds to make, what guttural sounds to make in between those consonants. So Hebrew, the Hebrew language, especially the ancient biblical Hebrew language, is just this massive consonants. Um, and you can hear that if you listen to Hebrew audibly. You definitely don't catch any of it if you read it in the English. But one of the things that's happening here in in the Tower, the story of the Tower of Babel um, is the consonants are very repetitive. If we were to talk about transliterated consonants, um, the consonants that are at play here are N, as in, um, what's the call sign for N? November. November. Uh, B as in boy. Bravo. Bravo. Thank I don't you. know. I went military, but... Okay, I like that. L, L as in... Lima. Okay, and H as in... Hotel. Okay, so... N, B, L, and H. And these consonants continue to appear in the same order, and then halfway through the story, they reverse. Now, if you catch that, you realize that what are we dealing with yet again? Seems like a chiasm. Man, and I should have probably caught this by the time I got to the story of the Tower of Babel, but I just, story after story after story after story after story have been chiastic. Like, all these stories are chiastic. There's a chiasm in every one of them. And, um... You even pointed it out, I think, when you noticed the language about scattering. There's language at the beginning, there's language at the end, there's language in the middle, and in fact, it is the middle. When you take these consonants, the N, B, L, and H consonants, you look at how they're being played in this story here in the Hebrew, and you realize that there's a front half and a back half. Uh, The center of the story ends up being the phrase in 11 verse 4, where it talks about them being scattered all over the earth. And if you want to see this chiasm um, in the English, it's very, very tricky, almost impossible, but you can see it by looking at uh, 1032 as the beginning. That's why I started there, last verse of chapter 10, and compare 1032 with chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. And you're going to definitely see the bookends of that chiasm. You might even see hints of the chiasm maybe throughout the story, but the center is going to lie there in 11, verse 4. Part B, um, but you can see it there if you look in your text. Uh, but that raises a question because you raised this question: Why is this story about scattered? Now, by the way, we have been talking about how all these stories parallel each other. Noah paralleled creation. Uh, Noah and the curse paralleled Adam and Eve, which means the Tower of Babel should parallel what? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Now, Cain's curse was that he was going to what? 
Uh, be a wanderer. Be a wanderer. And the center of this chiasm, the point of this story is about the people being scattered and God not wanting them to settle. When you look at 11 verse 4, you're going to see that the point of the Tower of Babel chiasm is that God does not want his people to settle. He wants them to keep wandering. And I think I hear allusions there to the same principle we discussed in one of our Moscow discussion groups um, a few weeks back about the Garden of Eden and the cherubim guarding the tree of life. God does not want his people to settle and to be in a fixed state away from his will, or we could say east. God does not want his people to settle until they come back home west. And uh, anyway, so so we have that that we're going to deal with here. But it just raises this question. Um, why would the entire point of the story be God's desire to scatter humans over the whole earth? Is God really threatened by their advances? Like there's this weird dialogue all throughout the story. Like if we, if we don't, one of the problems I have in the story is God saying, if we don't do something, they're going to be able to accomplish anything. Like, isn't that what God wants us to accomplish? Like later in the New Testament, we're going to hear like, I can do all things through God who gives me strength, through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't, like, isn't being able to accomplish anything like a good thing? Like, wasn't that kind of the point of the beginning of the story? And now God's like, well, we can't let them accomplish anything. So why is God threatened by their advances? Um, and uh, we have looked at these uh, parallels. Uh, in a lot of ways, we've let the cat out of the bag, I think you'd say, by noting that these uh, post-flood stories are par- paralleling the earlier pre-flood stories. Um And we're going to spend a lot more time tying this all together in our very next podcast. Uh, But God started this story by affirming the goodness of creation all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Um, He invited humanity to join him in trusting him, trusting the story, uh, to join him in his rest. Adam and Eve failed to trust God. Uh, They failed to master their desires. They failed to uh, say enough to their creativity, in a sense. Uh, And they pressed on and pursued themselves. Um, Cain is invited to trust in God's goodness and avoid the consequences that our insecurities and our fear uh, bring us, but he fails as well. So then God reaffirms the goodness of creation in the story of the flood. He kind of recreates creation in a sense, you could say. Um, But then Noah steps right out of the ark and pursues revenge, um, trying to step into the role of God, trying to become the creator, not knowing when to say enough, not knowing when to to stop destroying. Um, and, and here we find ourselves in what seems to be an escalating narrative where man's rebellion is starting to organize itself. Uh, after eating from the tree of knowledge, mankind is indeed beginning to look like God, not in a way that is helpful or beneficial to God's plan. Man's rebellion started with a sense of exploration. I'm reading some excerpts here from a blog post that I wrote. Um, God knows uh, that man is not ready to exercise their creativity in its fullness. They haven't learned how to trust the story. They haven't learned how to harness their desires. They will not know when to say enough. They will not know when to stop destroying. And so he can't let them settle. And so he scatters mankind. Um, now, to that end, I make a couple observations that I learned from uh, Rabbi David Foreman, who we've, refer- we've referenced before. Um, the first uh, re- Observation doesn't even come from Foreman at all, but other teachers that I've heard. This story, in a lot of ways, is a story about technology. Um, they have created the brick, 
which is a fabulous creation. You can imagine the pillar of light shining down out of heaven onto the brick. Uh, and this, this whole story is about the advancements of technology. Um, you're actually just showing me a wonderful Kickstarter campaign for a, uh, uh, what was it called? The Fidget Cube, I the believe. The Fidget Cube. $4.8 million raised for a Fidget Cube. The wonderful things we can do with technology. And this is really what this story is about. They, they create a brick and they decide they're going to build a tower. Now, one of the things you noticed in the story... God doesn't have a problem with them building a tower. They say, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. The brick is not a problem um, because God doesn't say anything. If you look at the beginning of verse four, it says, then they said. Whenever the Hebrew interrupts a dialogue by putting, you know, it might be talking about Abraham. Abraham said one, two, and three. And then Abraham said four, five, and six. If it's all one conversation, the Hebrew is not going to interrupt that. It's just going to say, Abraham said, one, two, three, four, five, six. So if there's an interruption there, it means there's two separate conversations. Uh, we'll talk more about that in discussion groups, but hopefully that makes sense for our listeners on the podcast. Um, but God says, or the people say, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And God's like, great. Doesn't have anything to say. God says nothing. Um, apparently the brick is fine. God's fine with advancements in technology. Technology is not a bad thing. Uh, new new innovations are not a bad thing. The the thing that we have to ask ourselves is how we're going to use technology. The internet is this wonderful gift, but how are we going to use it? We can use it for incredibly bad things, or we can use it to incredibly wonderful ends. Um, cell phones, what a wonderful creation, but how horribly they can be used. Uh, Technology is not the problem, but how are we going to use it? Are we going to use it for God's redemptive ends, or are we going to use it for our own selfish means? Are we going to know how to harness our desires and when to say enough? So they say, let's make bricks, and God says nothing, because that's fine. But then in verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. By the way, what was Cain's story rooted in? Cain's story was rooted in his... Uh, well, his name, his name, being and acquired. Here, here again, we have a story about acquiring and names. Um, just yet another parallel. But it's at this point that now God enters the story. Like the brick was fine, but the question remained: How are they going to use the brick? And when they decide they're going to use the brick for themselves, this is when God enters the story and says, "That's it. If if they're going to keep going down this road, they're going to be able to do anything." So we're going to mix this up, which, which leads me to my next observation, which I find to be really uh, interesting. Uh, most scholars agree that the word used for Babel is a playoff of the Hebrew word for confusion. Uh, God steps into the story, and it's interesting to note what God does not do. God does not punish them. God does not condemn the work project in and of itself. Um, God doesn't do that. He doesn't curse anybody. This story is free of curses. Uh, he does not deal out punishments, uh, consequences for sin. What he does is he confuses all of humanity with the disruption of their language. Uh, so why would he do this? Um, let me let me tell you what I wrote about what I learned from Rabbi Foreman in some of my journal entries here. To put it as Rabbi Foreman so beautifully taught, it's interesting to note how in order for humanity to continue to progress as a whole, they will need to learn the language of others. You cannot learn the language of another culture or a people without learning something about their perspective. 
Learning the diversity of perspectives always provides one with a sense of pause and consideration. It requires a sense of learning how to control one's desires in order to reach a common goal together. In the confusion of Babel, God has not so much stepped or slapped our hands as he has given us a new redemptive project that will cause us to be the people that grow into the kind of humanity that bears his image, a humanity that knows when to say enough, a people that trust the story, a people that might just find a place of rest. When God confuses the people, what he does is he says, the only way you're going to succeed is if you learn how to work together. And uh, I'll tell you what, I've had a lot of assessments in my career. And the one thing that I always get low scores on is teamwork. Because teamwork requires me to shut my mouth. And teamwork requires me to control the things that I don't want to control. And teamwork requires me uh, to be less about self and more about the other. Um, And what God does here is he says, the only way you're ever going to succeed is to become the people that you were created to become. And that's a selfless group of people that know how to control their desires. Uh, And I just loved that observation from Foreman because I realized this isn't even a punishment. This is God setting up his people for success. And the moment they want to learn this lesson is the moment that they're going to find their way back to the story. But as long as they are going to not learn this lesson, as long as they're going to be destructive, they're going to continue to sit uh, right where God wants them to be until they learn the lesson. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, we will definitely get to this much more later, but God has a very specific purpose for his people, uh, in the Western portion of, of the world. Uh, so moving, moving East is, is not going to be where God's people need to be. Absolutely not. And for those of you that know where your Bible's headed, God's going to meet a guy that's willing to go West. God's going to meet a guy that, uh, operates on a completely uh, God has been looking for partners this whole time, and he hasn't had a whole lot of luck finding them up to this point. A lot of people that want to do it their own way, that want to do their own story, and uh, God is going, right about the time we start to get hopeless, like I don't think humanity is ever going to learn this lesson, uh, we meet somebody who shows us that in fact this can be done, and God's going to find a partner. Yeah, we see the whole world is is evil, right? But, but Noah, he found favor in mm-hmm. God's eyes. But then nobody else does apparently because that's not mentioned again and noah blows it right and noah blows it so it's going to be an interesting journey uh we're just about ready to turn a a really interesting page but through genesis 1 through 11 we've been invited to rethink and reframe uh what we believe to be true about the world and uh what we believe god is asking us to do trust the story All right. So if you live on the Palouse, we hope you join us for our discussion groups that Marty mentioned a moment ago. We've got one in Moscow on Tuesday and in Pullman on Wednesday. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Salmon. You can find me on Twitter at EIBCB. You can find more details about the show at BamaDiscipleship.com, including uh, all kinds of little scheduling tidbits, how to support the ministry, whatever you want, all kinds of stuff there. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.